You're listening to the Make It British podcast. I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20 year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much was being sourced overseas. And I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that are still making in the UK. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in Britain, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be chatting to inspiring British-made brands and UK manufacturers and offering advice to product-based businesses that make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. welcome to episode number 265 of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm chatting with Pip Chawner who is the founder of women's wear brand Philippa London. Pip has got some fantastic tips to share about her experiences of setting up her brand, some of the challenges she's had along the way including a bit of a tricky experience with a manufacturer in India and how she's had great success selling her products at live events. So if you've ever thought about doing a live event, but you're a little bit nervous about how to do it and how to sell at these events, Pip has got some great advice for you. So I hope you enjoy this episode with Pip Chawner from Philippa London. Here you go. So thank you so much for joining me today on the Make It British podcast. Not at all, Kate. I'm delighted. Thanks for asking me. It's a pleasure. So do you want to start by telling everyone... Um, where are you based and how long have you been running your business? Well, I'm a bit embarrassed to admit that I've been running my business for so long, but, um, I've, I, I had many, many ideas, but, um, it was following, um, the death actually of my father-in-law back in 2016 that really pushed me to stop talking about it and actually doing something. Um, so it basically in 2015, I created Philippa London, um, officially, and, um, I had my first pop-up in, uh, 2015, uh, November in 2015. And, um, yes, and that was that, and how did it start? It basically began after we did up our house and, um, we ran out of money. And so I couldn't afford to make curtain. I couldn't afford to basically get curtains on. And came, the quote came for about £20,000. And so I thought, well, this is crazy. I went to London Code of Fashion. I am so kind of. I think I can go and learn how to make curtains myself. So during this time, I was actually had a little business, a personal signing business. And I thought, oh, well, so I could just do that once a week. And at the same time, I could do my, my freelance personal styling. So I go off to this course that's run by this amazing woman called Pascaline. And uh, basically, I couldn't do anything, even though I thought I was so experienced at sewing. Uh, and basically, what I soon realized that everything um, that deals with a curtain is basically, if it's done properly, it's all done by hand. Anyway, so I learned how to make cushions. I learned how to make curtains. It took me about a year and a half to make a pair of curtains. But I was only doing once a week uh, for three hours. But anyway, um, 
it was one Christmas. It was basically the following Christmas. I came downstairs. I, I came in from a party and I was wearing my grandmother's mink little jacket. And um, so I came in from the party. I slung it on a chair, went upstairs, went to bed, came down in the morning. And I saw this little mink jacket scrunched at the back of the chair. And I thought, ooh, that would make a fantastic cushion. And I remember my mother telling me about this furrier up north um, where she's had some of her own mother's uh, coats converted into gilets, um, uh, i.e. that they had the fur inside and then the mock suede on the outside because she didn't want to get paint thrown over her. Um, and uh, so with this bit of fur of my grandmother's, I then approached this furrier up north to ask him to make a cushion. And basically, Philippa London evolved from reconditioning vintage fur into home wear, such as cushions and throws. Oh, um, I never yes. knew that. Yes. And from being, from working with this fabulous furrier, Angus, um, up north, uh, he introduced me to fur collars. Controversially, they were new. Um, but they were absolutely beautiful. And he assured me that the fur that he used was only certified fur, that it was from the uh, northern parts of Europe. It was certified. It was saga. So it means that the animal was very beautifully looked after um, and cared for. Um, so it, controversially, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it was beautiful. So he sent me some. And um, my girlfriends went crazy for them. So they all bought them. And so then Philip and London started doing um, fur collars. And at the time, I mean, I, it was big business. It was good business. Um, but anyway, so I was working. So my, I, I started up Philip and London. I did a website through um, Wix. And actually yeah. it did work. Um, I used to get loads of orders. Um, and, uh, it was really, it, it was fascinating actually, but, um, so I built this, it took me about two weeks to build the website. I used myself and my daughter as the models. I literally had my EOS camera on a stand and I would literally just basically photograph everything. Anyway, so I set up Philip and London all about this time. I had this prop up, um, and, uh, and that's how basically it started. So Angus, lovely man. Up north, he promised me X and X didn't arise. And I'm not, I mean, I'll also, I should have probably done my due diligence and following up more closely, giving him weekly calls to find out where he was and that. So I was put into a really awkward position. So I had to go and basically find somewhere else who could help me make these collars. So I literally went on to Google. My background, by the way, is production and sourcing. So I just went back straight back to my old skills on how to, obviously I didn't really have internet Google then when I was working, but, um, I basically went into the, pretty much going to Google searching for furriers in London. I got this great big long list and I literally periodically just started ringing them and I systematically rang them and I got one reply and, or I got two replies. I went to one. And that furrier is the person who I still work with today. 
Oh, wow. um, Yes, and he's absolutely delightful. I mean, I'm sure you've seen him on Instagram. We do many little chit-chats together. He has a fascinating background. When he was 16, he was taken by the scrapper's neck and thrown into this barrier where he had to sweep the floor. And he went all the way up to being a master furrier. And uh, he now has his own business as a master furrier. And it's a fascinating story. And one of the things that I really loved about my previous career was really working with the factories, really working with the products. So I basically, it's just wonderful for me because it's really hands-on. And you, you, you know, we talk about British craft. It's just the best thing working with traditional tradesmen using their hands and and it's a dying craft. It's really, really sad. I mean, it is a craft. Um, Whether you like so or not, what they do is an old traditional craft. Um, Anyway, from from sort of London doing uh, the homework, pretty much that then changed. So I started upcycling uh, spur to make little bolleros and gilets and long gilets and uh, all sorts. And uh, the service that we, Danny also does is that we get them cleaned and we can anti-moth, de-moth, uh, and then we do processes like glazing to make them all shiny. So that starts developing. And um, obviously with me being very much of a product-based person, I kind of think, well, oh, maybe I should start doing a leather belt. And I used uh, to work with my, um, because that's one of the styling tips I do with many of the coats is that you wrap a belt around. Um, and so I contacted one of my suppliers that I u- used to work with, this French Connection, when I did the, uh, uh, I was the manager of all the production for many, many departments after I came back from San Francisco. And um, he was such a lovely man, you know, former. And yes, um, form, yeah, former yes, leather, yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely wonderful. And he has supported me ever since. So pretty much since I went with my one belt idea, we have now developed it to these amazing leather skirts that we do. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really good. And at the same time, a long former, I was working with a, a sheepskin supplier who was selling me pretty much at wholesale prices to do these lovely gilets, the sheepskin gilets. Um, sadly, their business is going sort of dying because they're both the brothers are now at that age where they want to retire. Um, so I'm really focusing on former. So at the same time, very much aware that one shouldn't always have your fingers all in one pot in regards to factories. Likewise, with um, with with working with Danny, my furrier, I'm very aware that I shouldn't really just be working with one furrier, but there just isn't the, I just don't have the breath to go and fight. There, there isn't another furrier, there are other furriers around. So it's really sad. I remember when I, when I had my that little micro factory in Shoreditch back in the early nineties, the guy yeah. that had the unit next to us was a furrier. I mean, I would imagine oh, yeah. he's long gone now because he was about yeah. 70 then and that was 30 years ago. And watching the way he stitched the, the furs up was like incredible. Like you say, it's pretty much all hand done, isn't it? It is, yeah. And they, they, these special machines, how they do the seams together. I mean, I've tried. I mean, it's nay impossible. 
and uh, the machinists at uh, Danny's uh, work studio, they're, they're two sisters, and that's all they've ever done is do the sewing of the fur. So it's great. Do you then add in like the women's wear, the dresses, the blouses? So I'd always wanted to do it. And so having a fur collar collection, everyone used to say, oh, well, I really would like to wear something underneath it, i.e. the Molly blouses were created. And uh, initially, I wanted to do them here in the UK, but I couldn't get anybody. I went to your, I went to your sourcing. Oh, my event, um, my trade show. Never. Right, your event, yes. And I couldn't find anyone that A, would do silk, because it's sort of the thing about Philip Lund is that everything's very natural. Everything will biodegrade. Everything is, um, won't leave a footprint. It will just disappear over time. So it's always natural. Have, everything has to be natural. Cottons, linens, um, silks, um, you know, the vintage fur, it's all biodegradable. So um, anyway, so I was going around, I couldn't find anybody. And then a girlfriend of mine who's still in the industry said, oh, you should contact blah, blah, blah. Do you remember, used to work with her in um, India. Oh, yes, 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 I'll contact her. So. Uh, it was wonderful. I got a great spec. Uh, it was all going swimmingly well. But I agreed stupidly that I would do 150 units, which is just crazy. <laughs> and uh, absolutely crazy. What the hell was I thinking? But I was just so excited, you know, these beautiful Molly silk blouses. Anyway, they landed. They cost me enough to land. Oh, no, no, no. That dumb thing. The Japanese full of shipping. He said, hello, madams, uh, you can have your production, but you have to basically have 270. So they did it like a hundred piece over Five of that. Yes. So I stupidly said, oh, okay, because I've done all the first rows. Um, I didn't, I mean, basically I was learning. So I remember, so I had 250, but of course I haven't accounted for 250 units. I literally hadn't even accounted for that. Of course I hadn't. And I literally had to lend myself money to get into returns, pay the bill. I mean, it was just a nightmare. What was I thinking? Um, and um, Have you ever, and uh, to tell you the truth, I'm still selling them now. <laughs> that's a lesson learned, so, isn't it? Yeah. That's a lesson learned. Um, and it's a big lesson. It's a good lesson. It's a very important lesson because at the end of the day, you know, you might think you're paying less, but actually you have to bring the product in. You have to pay your uh, duty. It's, you have to pay for your shipments. You have to pay for your freight to ensure everything. Um, and in actual fact, it ended up the cost of the shirts weren't that much, probably that much cheaper than they would have been if I'd made them in the UK. Probably 20% cheaper. Yeah. Sitting on 300 I've got depleted. I mean, I've probably only got 10 pieces now, but um, it's it, and I still very much everyone still associates Philip Lunder with the Molly Blouse. So that's good. I've established a signature Molly Blouse. So, what I now need to do is to find somewhere that can do the Molly Blouse here within the UK, but probably only 20 pieces. Oh, I know people that can do that for you. So, don't worry, we'll get you sorted out with that. Definitely. So everything is made in the UK, absolutely everything, 100% everything, even the labels. So um, I'm my, even my business cards, everything is all UK. Um, and my, yeah, so 
I started dresses about two or three years ago. Now, why did I start dresses? I can't really quite remember. I think I just felt that I needed to start dressing. And, um, and, uh, so I was really fortunate. So I was in former leather and, uh, there was a pattern cutter there and I sort of cheekily said, oh, do you know any pattern cutters? I'm, I've got this dress that I'd really like to do. And she said, no, I don't. Oh, I do menswear up, oh, but I do know somebody who does pattern cutting. And so I contacted that, contacted that somebody and I have been working with her forever since. So what, about five years now. And, uh, yes, and she's absolutely fantastic. Brilliant. Pauline's amazing. And then from asking, so do, Pauline started doing my, uh, pattern cutting. And then I asked, do you know a good machinist? Because I had to use machinists before because I was upcycling vintage dresses. Um, but I didn't feel that they had the needle point that I really wanted. You know, that fine needle point. And she said, I know exactly who you need to contact. And that is Sharon. And Sharon also is the person I still work with. And um, she's amazing. And she's working so hard right now. I'm off to collect a load of garments this afternoon. But um, so anyway, so that's really exciting. Are you ready to finally master your manufacturing and create profitable UK made products? If so, I've got an exclusive training just for you. This training is for businesses that make in the UK or want to, and who are interested in working with me in our British brand accelerator for creative small business owners who want to develop and sell profitable UK made products. If your application is accepted, you'll receive a copy of my exclusive free private training on how to develop profitable UK-made products with ease. In the training, I go through my exact three-part framework that we use to help our clients successfully launch and grow their UK-made brands. And I'll show you exactly how it works along with all kinds of examples. I'll also explain everything you need to know about the accelerator to ensure that we can truly help you to get the results that you're looking for. To apply for an invite to the British Brand Accelerator and get a copy of the training, go to katehills.co.uk forward slash apply. So what was your marketing strategy when you first started out then? How did you get your first sales? It was a lot to do with pop-ups. So I would get friends to host a pop-up and then from, and then, uh, from hosting a pop-up, you would meet other people that would then say, would you come to this pop-up? And it just goes on and on and on. And then you would meet somebody who goes and does a lot of, uh, the charity, I think it was called, it's now gone now, the charity fair association, I think that's the name where you would become a member and then you'd get a list in January of all the fairs in the UK. So there's like a hundred fairs in the UK. Um, but what I found from that is, uh, from London's average price point is about 350 pounds, I would say, um, that a lot of these fairs aren't luxury fairs. They're more granny, granny going off to get her grandchildren's, uh, Christmas presents. So. I've learned that you have to choose the right best for your product. So your demographic, if you know what you mean. And I'm still learning now. I've been doing them nearly, nearly seven years. 
and I'm still lens now. I'm always, I've, I've made a big mistake this year um, already um, where I go to this fair that's supposed to be amazing. Delightful um, fair organisers. I mean, you'd want them to be your friend. Um, but uh, the demographics just wasn't right. And, you know, and it's the, the thing about these fairs that you have to pay to go to these fairs. You have to pay to get there. You have to pay probably maybe having to stay overnight. And you have to pay for your van, your fuel, the cost of the fair. And some of the fairs will then ask you for 10% of your taking. So that same instance, you take a thousand pounds, you would then have to give them 10% of that thousand pounds. But what you've also got to remember is that it's probably cost you 50% of your product and then probably another 10, 15% just for your van and then another, sort of another 5% your fuel. So you can see suddenly all your margin has completely gone. Um, and uh, since doing... Um, your course, it's really made me focus really, really tightly on my margins, how much it's costing me. And after each fair, I've got a bottom line, what, how, what my turnover is, what my uh, costs are. And that will mean even if you go and do a private sale in someone's house, the cost of the very expensive flowers that you bought is taken out of your cost. It's really important. And then you get your margin. So therefore, next year, I'll be able yeah. to say, yes, 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 no, yes, 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 no. So there are no's and there are times when you don't make any profit. But you've got to remember that this is also an opportunity for you to get emails. And that's what happened to me when I went up to Yorkshire. Yes. So even though they didn't buy, say. They did give me their email. Oh, I was running a competition. I'll tell you about that. Um, so, uh, so we were running, running an email, a competition. So they would give my their email knowing that they would go on the mailing list, but then they would have a chance to win the bag that I, that I do from that cycle business first. So, uh, yeah, so I got the emails. You're, you're handing out. So I always have a very good marketing card, which will have a, a, an image of product like my gold skirt and then on the back it'll have all my contact details and of course they can use a postcard to send to somebody's set um, but it gives them a visual aid I think that's really important actually also they love a business card I'm not doing them this year but people still like business cards it's like mm. that extraordinary yeah but I'm not doing it and I just give them that now so that is my, basically my, my business card. Mm. So how do you combine the offline selling with things like all the pop-ups that you do with like an online presence, like website, social media? Which are the channels that you're most active on online? On, well, so obviously I've got my website. I've got my uh, social media. Um, so... We'll go back to that. So social media is wonderful. It's visual. It's a visual aid. Um, in the times of COVID, I basically sold through Instagram uh, because I used to do these sort of videos all the time. They weren't lives, but they were videos. And I used to do it in one take and then just post it. So I don't know why I didn't do live. I don't know. I don't think I even knew about lives. 
But the most important thing now is focusing on my website. So I have Instagram, I have Instagram and Facebook, which are connected. And then of course I have my website. Pretty much I would say about doing pop-ups is that if you're at home, you don't make the sales. It doesn't matter if you might have a really good website that I know that I am, I make more sales by being out there than I do waiting for my website. And obviously it's a, for, for Philip and London, it's very much of a seasonal thing. Um, that's how I created the dresses because I wanted something to sell throughout the year. That's why I introduced dresses initially. But, um, but the, the thing is that, yes, my, my website will become more active probably now until March. But in the meantime, I still have to get out there because I still sell more once I'm out there. They, the, people still love to touch and feel and try on. I might have 7,000 followers, but basically I am an unknown. People do not know Philip London. You have to get out there. You have to show yourself. You have to give them incentive to sign up to your website. Again, obviously, you have to be active on your website in regards to, you know, increasing your mail, uh, weekly mail letters, newsletters. So I'm doing that now. Um, more so, I've started to up. Um, but uh, it's just, you know, it's just keep con uh, importantly, as you said, you have to look after those existing customers. Those existing people that are signed up to your mailing list, they're on there because they're interested in your products. You've got to look after them. And so that's what always goes in my head every Friday. This is what I've got to do. What tips have you got then for someone who's not yet got out there and done any form of live event and live selling, like in-person event? Because I know a lot of people, like a lot of people that have brands are quite introverted and they find it really hard. Like, how do I get people to come and talk to me on my stand yeah so it's very much about smiling and being warm and you know just sort of hurrying if you've got a usp tell them about it like my usp is everything is made in the uk please can i show you i'm really proud of what we've got here look at this color it's very much like hello how are you can i tell you a little bit more about sort of london um and then it's always very positive. It's always, wow, gosh. And then you engage in a conversation. But as I, as I said earlier, get out there. Um, use your friends, families, get them to do you a pop-up. Um, just, just, you know, if the more people see your stuff, the more likely they are to buy it. Um, and if they, you know, especially if they like them, they're going to buy something, aren't they? That is so true. Like you say, you've, if you're proud of your products, just smile and just have a conversation with people. It's not necessarily selling because you've got something that you know they'll look, they'll look good in. So how do you then also overcome like the tiredness? Like Pip, you've got so many events I know that you're doing in the coming months in the run up to Christmas. What do you do to combat the exhaustion? Oh, I'm quite worried about it. So, and I've also got a really bad back. Oh, no. So, um, yes, which, because I went up to North Yorkshire, so that's the thing is that you drive all the way up there, you stand, and then you drive all the way down. So you've just got to learn to do all those stretches. I mean, obviously, if you're in your 30s, you don't have to worry about it, but it's a friend of mine said, Pips, you're not 35 <laughs> anymore. I mean, I don't know. So, um, so, you know, 
you just basically, I, I, no, I basically cancel my social events. I am doing something on next Friday and I already know, I mean, I feel tired just thinking about it, but I've said to them, I will come, I'll come for an hour. I'm not going to have a drink. I wish you happy birthday. Then I'm going because I'm working at nine o'clock the next day and that'll be day six. So I'm going to be pretty tired. Um, yeah, I mean, it just goes adrenaline, isn't it? Yeah. But you've also got to remember, I do love what I do. So it's, you do it because you love it, don't you? And I really believe in my product. I really believe that what I have on my, on my rail is fantastic stuff, which has been beautifully made that will last them a lifetime. And that, that in itself, if you are really um, positive about your product and you really believe in your product, it's, it's easy. Easy. Yeah. It is easy. Plus also you make a great model for your product because you model in a lot of your own like videos and photos, don't you, for Instagram? I do, but needs must be. <laughs> you know, it's you know, I can't support a model. And so, you know, I what what so obviously I do do I do use models. I use friends, daughters, and they are amazing. And I have on occasion used proper professional models. They're expensive, um, but people do like to see me in the product. Um, I'm very aware that, um, you know, I'm, I am very tall and skinny, so I'm trying to get a broader range of a woman, a proper woman, as I always say, and that, that I want to uh, show in my, and I'm slowly doing that, so I'm engaging with uh, influencers that are, you know, bigger than me, shorter than me, uh, different uh, background to me, different look to me, blonde hair, dark hair, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Have you done much work with influencers or brand ambassadors and how have you gone about securing yeah. that relationship so that it kind of works for both parties? Well, again, it's basically um, make us friends. So you genuinely like them. I think it's really important that you genuinely like them. And you, if, if you were at school as a little girl, they would be in your friendship group. Do you see what I mean? No, so, um, that, you know, I, uh, so you like them. Now, there have been times when I was starting, I felt people took advantage of Philip and London. So to begin with, right at the beginning, I would give them stuff and for, the, for them to return a post. Um, and some people do take advantage of it. And currently, the people that I'm working with, because I have learned, they are genuinely great people. Obviously, they're women, but they are grown-ups, professionals, and you pay for what you get. You, 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 I feel that, or you give them a blouse, or you, you know, you just have to be very, very careful that you're not taking advantage of. And basically you establish exactly what you're getting from your discussion, whether you pay for it or you give them a product. And if something doesn't work out, invariably, it's probably my fault that I haven't clarified. So influencers are magnificent. They are beautiful creatures. They look amazing in clothes. You're not necessarily going to get a sale from that. And that was a hard lesson that I learned that you do not get the sale. But what do you get? You might get a handful of followers. You don't necessarily get followers, but you might get five, say. But what you do do is that you get some great images. 
that you can then use on your website and on social media. So it is a win-win for you, but do not expect to get sales. Do not expect to get followers. Whatever they say, it, it won't necessarily work. You've got to see it as a marketing tool for the potential of getting a product, uh, a sale later on. Does that make so sense? Yeah. So do they contact you or do you reach out to them? What, what you'll notice is that you, I think I'd probably do all the reaching out. Next for Philippa London then, what are your plans for the business going forward? Uh, well, to develop the product range, so I'm, I'm, I've got sketches for uh, a sheepskin range, um, but I can't do it right now because I don't have the money. Um, so I'd like to develop a spring coat, sheepskin coat for spring. So I'll be hopefully with all these sales, I'll be able to, to reinvest them into Philippa London where I can develop the sheepskin range. I am aware that I am increasing my products, but I did use to have a sheepskin coat. And um, so we'll see, we'll see. That's ultimately, that's what I'd really like to do. Yes, I'd like to do wholesale. I would like to develop the range even further. You yes. know, there are all these things. Working together then, haven't we, in the British Brand Accelerator. Yes. What has been takeaway from us working together? Oh, for me, it was very much about margins. How I have now, I manage my stock. I never used to manage my stock. I just sort of said, oh, I've got a bag of those, bag of those. Oh, I'm short of that. And I, um, I, my margins, for instance, my fares, I'd go, oh, I did, I did 3,000. Oh, that's really good. Um, but actual fact, now, my, you know, my turnover was 3,000. That was really good. But actually, I never really knew what my real margins were. I just sort of used to double the, 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 the cost price. I mean, the, I used to double the product price, but I wasn't including everything in the product. I mean, it was just like, what a crazy, crazy. So now I am much, much. I mean, I was so, I mean, my whole job before was all about margins. I don't know what I was doing. But... Yeah, but sometimes it takes someone from the outside to look in, to, to tell you things. You can't see the wood yeah, for the trees so... when you're working in your own business. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So my biggest take is the fact that I feel really organized and I'm really all over it. I know exactly where my margins are. I know what my stock is. I know, it's, you know, that to me gives me great joy. And I've developed this fantastic force, my spares. Um, so I know all the time what my overall margin is for the quarter. It's great. I love it. And that's all through taking things from your course and adapting them for Philip and London. It's just fantastic. Brilliant. Amazing. I've loved Plus, it. I've absolutely loved working with you, Pip, because I think your product is is gorgeous and the you know the enthusiasm and the passion that you have for what you do and what you've just told everyone there about you know it's easy to sell in person if you love your product and you know that you've got a great product that's made by you know real craft yes and you know what you know and i was saying you know i had a disastrous fair you know the other day hey that was a bit probably my fault but b it just, they just weren't the right demographics. It's not, it's not the fact that your product's not good. It's just not the right. And I wouldn't have had that attitude before. I'd have thought, oh God, I'm really rubbish. Or it's really rubbish. But 
because I believe in what I do and the fantastic response I get when people engage with my product, um, you know, it's not your product. It's just what the right demographic. Yeah. So if at first you don't succeed, that's like you've got to keep going. Yeah. 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 Amazing. Yeah. Pip, where's the best place yeah. for everyone to find you then? Um, which, what sort of events can they find you at and how can they get in touch with you if they want to host a pop-up with you maybe, or, um, yeah, well, they can contact me obviously through my mobile, obviously my mobile's all over the website. Um, they can email me on info at philipandlondon.com. They can DM me at philipandlondon through Instagram. I'm always open, always open to hearing other opportunities. Anybody wanting to do a pop up, I'm really, um, I'm really open to it. So lovely to talk to you today, Pip. Thank you for your time. It's amazing. Not at all. Thank you, Kate. You did a great job. Oh. Keep it up. Thanks, Pip. It's great. Right. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you so much. Bye. 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 Bye.